Welcome, everybody, to our first podcast, The Other Everest, Navigating the Pathway to Authentic Leadership. My name is David Irvin, and it is my good fortune to be able to spend this time with you today. are going to be exploring over these next several weeks the nature of what I call authentic leadership. It's a term that perhaps you've heard before, but what we're going to be doing is exploring what that actually means. I've been in the leadership development field now for the last 30 years, and I've had a lot of requests for people to say, you know what, you should be getting your message out into the world in a broader way. And I am inspired by podcasts that I listen to, and so I'm grateful for this technology. What you're going to be hearing over the next several weeks and in this series is interviews. We're going to be, we're going to be interviewing authentic leaders, people who have been identified by the people they serve as being authentic. Leadership ultimately requires someone else to say that you're a leader. You're really not a leader until somebody calls you a leader, and you're going to learn about this as we go along. But I'm going to be interviewing people in this series who have been identified as authentic leaders, and we're going to hear their story. We're going to hear what were the defining moments that made them who they are. So it's not going to be so much what leaders do. That's, that's a different focus. What we're going to be focused on here is how do leaders become? How do leaders be who they are? What is their story? What is their life journey? What are their defining moments that make them who they are? So this first session is going to be a little different than the rest. In other words, I'm going to be interviewed in this first session, and I'm delighted today to have Dom Kelly here, who's been responsible for helping me set this podcast up, and he's going to be interviewing me today. And in the process of him interviewing me, we'll explore what we actually mean by authentic leadership. And so, Dom, I'm going to turn the time over to you. So, you know, the first question I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, what, from your perspective, is is leadership? Um, and then, you know, from from your research and your experience, what what is it? take to actually be a leader? Well, my definition of leadership is the ability to inspire the commitment of others to pursue a a mission. The ability to inspire the commitment of others to pursue a mission. And the best way for me to describe what it means to be a leader is to describe what it means to not be a leader. I distinguish between a boss and a leader. Now, it's not really a role. There are leaders and there are bosses. We're actually all, anybody in the work of serving others and inspiring others and leading others has to be both a boss and a leader to some degree. But it's a very different focus. So the best way I can do is give you an example. 
a boss is the transactional part of our work. So a parent, for example, who's trying to teach their child to read or helping them with their homework to read, a boss would say, you know what, you can read, uh, you can you can listen to your device after you spend time reading. And so you use your positional power, if you will, your position, your title, to get the child to read. A boss, on the other hand, inspires the child to want to read. That's a very different process. Now, sometimes all leaders have to be bosses at times. I'm not against bosses, but it's a very different energy. And my work very often is in organizations that are overbossed and underled. So leadership is about creating the culture, the environment that inspires people to want to do work that would express a mission. That's the work of a leader, as opposed to a boss who just gets the work done. And th this is the transformational aspect of the work of a leader to inspire people to be the best they can. Can, can I ask, how, how do you diagnose um, a company or an organization as being um, over-bossed and, and under-led? Is that something that m most people, most organizations may come to you already being aware of? Um, and and if, if not, how, how do they usually, how do you usually come to that conclusion? Well, it, it's... It's about energy. So there's several ways of measure, measuring energy. When I walk into an organization, you can tell by the energy in the organization, by the level of engagement, by the level of trust, by the level of, of uh, morale. How's the morale? It's what Patrick Lencioni call, calls the healthy organization versus a smart organization. Smart organizations are about marketing and finance. They're about um, uh, strategy and operational excellence. And you can be really good at your job, but what kind of an environment are we working in? Is it a high trust environment? Is there high energy there? Now, you can almost feel it when you walk into an organization. How does the point, the first point of contact treat you? How does the first customer service person treat you? What's your, what's your experience when you walk into that culture? Now, there are other ways to measure culture and to measure whether or not people are being led or bossed. Uh, one is an employee engagement survey, but I always say kind of facetiously that you really shouldn't send an employee engagement survey to employees, which we do, but you really should send an employee engagement survey. If you want to find out the culture, send one to the employee's spouses, because it's what you talk about when you go home at night that will reflect what the culture is. And so uh, the conversations, um, dialogue, uh, these are ways that you understand how engaged people are by the level of leadership within a culture. So so then uh, on on that, you know, if, if someone may not be a leader in at work, um, but does the same apply to being a leader in everyday life and and how, how, how does the same principle like, translate from the workplace to, to outside of the workplace? Well, ab absolutely. See, 
leader, you cannot get, first of all, you can't be promoted to being a leader. You can get promoted to being a boss. But leadership, you can earn, if you inspire people, we've all met people in our life. And the, the best way for me to answer that, Dom, is just to ask you and to ask our listeners to, to think about the people in their life who have been an inspiration in their life. Since my brother's death three and a, two, two years ago, since my brother's death, I've been a, I've been a, working on a project. It's called my wall of influence. And what it is, it's, it's, a, it's a wall on my office, in my office, of the 25 most influential people in my life, people who have shaped me, who have made me who I am. None of those people, while they may have had a title, none of those people impacted me by their title. They didn't impact me because they had a, a degree behind their name or a title or the size of their office. They impacted me by the strength of their relationship, by their qualities such as humility, such as <clears throat> caring, investment. Many of them were tough on me, but underneath the toughness was caring. They brought a presence to that relationship. So a leader in any aspect of your life will impact leadership in all aspects of your life. And so begin to ask yourself, how would people perceive you? So you talk about the, the other Everest. Um, you talk about it in, in your, your book. It's the central part of your book. It's the name of your podcast. Um, what, what, what is the, the other Everest and how does that, how does that apply to me as, as a leader? Well, one of the mysteries of the universe is this inherent duality of nature that's found both in the physical world and within ourselves. As most of us know that the world's highest peak is Mount Everest at more than 8,000 meters above sea level. What's less known is that the world's lowest point is the Mariana Trench at more than 8,000 meters below sea level. It's virtually an inverted Everest. And in this fast-paced, rapidly evolving business and professional environment, there's a high value placed on looking upward and outward, a continually striving for the next summit, the next Everest. As successful people, we, we tend to, to look upward to our achievements, but success isn't just about height. It's also about depth, this journey down, this journey within, the journey to our heart is equally valid, and it's what I call the journey to the other Everest. It's a downward journey that brings depth to the, to the leadership ability. And my experience, when, when I interviewed, I, first of all, I, I used to think you had to know something to write a book about it. And what I've discovered is if you want to learn something, write a book about it and travel around the country and talk about it for 10 years. And what I've discovered is, is about a dozen years ago, I started to research leadership and what do people want from their leaders? And we asked a wide variety of people, what do you want from your leaders? And we, we interviewed about 4,000 people in about 200 organizations, a wide variety of organizations. And we asked them basically that question. And all the answers could be percolated down to really one statement. And the statement is, we want our leaders to get past the fads and the gimmicks and the flavors of the month. We just want our leaders to be real. So I started to write a book about real leadership. And what I discovered is that before you can be a real leader, you first of all have to be a real human being. 
And so it shifted from a very a leadership focused book to a personal focused book. And then I've revised that book into this framing it in such a way that takes us down into this inner journey, because my experience of what it takes to be authentic, what it takes to be real, what it takes to be honest and what it takes to actually impact people and influence people and to be earn the right to be called a leader. This person is a leader. If you ask people, let me just give you this example. Think of a person in your life right now that inspires you, that has deeply uh, led you and influenced you and someone that you would call a leader in your own life. And then ask them this question. How did you get there? And there is a high probability that somewhere along the line, whether it's conscious or not, somewhere along the line, they take, they took some kind of an inner journey, whether it was a journey through um, a dying parent, whether it was a journey through illness, whether it was a journey through a recovery from an addiction, whether it was dealing with mental illness, some kind of a tough journey that took people into their darkest side, the hardest realities of their life. The best leadership comes from people who have penetrated this inner darkness, men and women who can lead us to this place of authenticity that is hidden from what the world sees and who have been there and done that and who have been there and know the way. And in so doing, they understand the why because they've had some kind of an inner journey. And I'm just interested and actually passionate. It's my life's work to shine a light on that. And to recognize that developing leadership presence is a journey down. You know, it's interesting when I talk to audiences, this is about this is about stopping and going inside. When I talk to audiences, I will take people into this place of authenticity and they reflect beyond the transactional side of their life into this transformational side and the connection with their inner voice and their inner self their spiritual nature, whatever you want to call it. And it's very interesting. I'll be talking perhaps for an hour, and then we have a break. And immediately, what people will do is they will turn on their devices and go from their heart into their head. And their voice, which says, this is an inner voice where I'm experiencing internally, and they'll go right into responding to an email, and it goes into their outer voice into their head, and they will lose connection with their authentic self in that moment. And this is the way we have done life. We have we are so conditioned in the world to react to what the world wants, the pull of the world, in, the push of the world, rather, instead of the pull to an inner voice. And we have lost the ability to connect with this authentic side of ourselves. And in the process, we have diminished our ability to really have leaders in the world today. And so what we do is that we have these transactional bosses that are leading our organization. And the energy is either high. Well, it's either high, highly conflictual or worse is it's polite. I always say that the opposite of, enga of engagement is not disengagement. The opposite of engagement is polite. And 
if you've ever worked in an organization that's polite, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a Canadian after all, and we like polite up here. So I'm not against polite, but if, if we can't have genuine, real, honest conversations in our workplace, you will see productivity diminish significantly. Now, with the younger generation, they are pushing an organization. I am inspired by our young generation because our, our, our younger generation coming into the workplace is insisting on engagement. They're not, they're not interested in compliance anymore. I'm in my 60s. My generation of the workforce is we'll just be compliant and do our job for 40 years and then we'll retire. That generation is gone. That mentality is gone. <clears throat> we have to find a way to engage people. The only way to engage people is by being real and by being authentic. Now, people want to, if, if people are not living in an organization right now that's authentic, they'll do one of two things. If they can get a job somewhere else, you'll see high turnover and they'll leave. If they can't leave, if the, if the job market is down, and uh, they don't have economic opportunities outside that organization. Worse yet, they will quit and stay. And they'll just shut their energy down. And I think we've all known organizations where there's no high energy and what happens to productivity, much less what happens to the human spirit in those organizations. So then what what can leaders of organizations like that do to to address this issue of authenticity um, and, and how do you pass that down? How do you, how do you teach that to, to, you know, other people in leadership, other bosses, how do you, how do you turn them into authentic leaders? It's a very good question. What, what it, 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 here's what Gandhi said. If you want to remake the world, remake yourself. And uh, there's a teacher today that would say, if you want to change the world, start by making your own bed in the morning. Start with yourself to ask you to look in the mirror and say, how authentic am I? Do I know my purpose? There's a there's a, a lot of there's a lot that we can say about what it takes to be an authentic human being. But it starts by stopping. And slowing down. And listening to our own inner voice and starting to shine a light, Dom, on where in my life have I taken a path of authenticity and where have I compromised my path? Let me give you one small experience, one small defining moment in my own life. And then I'm, I, would, I would love to know what a defining moment has been for you, where you have brought leadership presence, because I know you are well-respected in your workplace as a young, upcoming leader in your workplace. And I would be very curious to hear from you what might be one of your stories. But I'll share with you one of mine. Sure. Um, well, I'll, I'll share with you two. One, um, in the if you go back in your life and you realize when were you the most alive, there is a, there is a part in all of us that when we're there, we know this is the person I am meant to be. And for the first five years of my life, I was living the way I was meant to live. I, I believe we're born authentic. What happened was I was I played with dolls and I had all these dolls. That my sister, I inherited from my sister after she left home. She was 14 years older than me. I had all these dolls, had all these doll houses. I was alive because I know 
that I am meant to be a relational person. I am my voice in the world. My purpose for living is to bring relationships and enhance relationships in the workplace and in the world and to and to make those relationships real. That's when I was most alive until grade one. And I took all my dolls to school for show and tell. And it was my first experience in humiliation. Now, when you're six years old and everybody's laughing at you, including the teacher that I remember, only an idiot is going to keep taking their dolls back to school. And I remember I made a conscious decision. I brought those dolls home. I put them in a box and I never looked at them for 20 years. And I tried to pretend that I was somebody that I wasn't. So I, I tried to be a football player. I tried to be a basketball player. I wasn't any good at any, any of those sports, but I tried to fit in because that was what was cool to do. And I tried to pretend that I was somebody that I wasn't. And I was, I actually, I know now I was a very inarticulate depression. I, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it at the time, but I, looking back, I suffered a lot from depression and a lot of that depression I believe was was the fact that I was not expressing my true voice. Now that's the one. So then I found those old dolls in my when my parents sold the farm, and I took the dolls out of the out of the box, and I was a big brother at the time, and I gave them to my little brother. And and I said, you know, it's okay for he was six years old, and I said it's okay for boys to play with dolls. You might not want to take them to school, but I've been spending the next forty years of my life plus. Reca uh, recapturing and 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 living what I'm meant to do, which is being the person that I'm meant to be, and then leading from that perspective. And it has been an ongoing journey for me. I, I believe that that which we're most capable of teaching is what we're most in need of developing. And I know this has been a central challenge for me in my life is to be true to my own voice. So what I ask leaders is where, what is your doll story? Where did you compromise who you are for the sake of fitting into this world that told you how you're supposed to be and how you should be? So that's one story. The other story is uh, four years ago, my brother, and I'll try to make this story short, but my brother, um, was awarded, he was a family physician, worked in a rural hospital for 35 years. And he was awarded Alberta's Outstanding Family Physician, which is an award that was it's given, it's an highest, you know, it's a high honor that you can get from your peers. He went to Vancouver to receive his award. Three nights before he was to receive his award, he collapsed in the arms of his wife. Five days later, he was given the grave diagnosis of anaphylactic astrocytoma, which is a brain tumor that eventually took his life. And for three and a half years, I helped care for my brother. I didn't do the heavy lifting. His wife and his family and caregivers did the heavy lifting. But for three and a half years, um, I was able to be with my brother one day a week. And it was like a, a, a pause. It was like a rest note in the allegro of my life. And I was able to stop and be with my brother. There was times where I helped feed him, where I helped bathe him, where I helped shave him, where I brushed him, massaged his feet. And it was a sacred experience. His dying helped me 
in my living. And I believe his healing energy as a physician carried on even when he couldn't practice as a physician. He perhaps did more healing for his family and for his community than he even did when he was an active physician. And his, his work, his life, and his dying inspired me because when I would take him around in his wheelchair and I asked, his staff would come out and hug him and his patients would hug him and his, his colleagues would hug him. He was loved. He wasn't just admired and respected. He was loved. And so I started to write a book about, and oh, no, but then before that, I asked people, what is it that made him a great doctor? And the same thing that makes a great doctor makes a great leader, makes a great human being. And that is that he cared. And so I wrote a book on caring called Caring is Everything about my story through his dying process that inspired me. Now, that particular experience took me down to a deeper level, going through that grieving and that loss inspired me or it guided me to a deeper part of myself to say, I came out of that experience determined to say, you know what, I'm going to talk to the world about caring. I'm going to talk to the world about authenticity. It clarified my voice about what I really need to do with my life more clearly, as opposed to just pleasing clients and giving clients what they want. I can do that easily. Howard Thurman, the great civil rights activist back in the 50s, made a very powerful statement. He said, I'll see if I can find the actual quote, but he said, basically, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go and do it, because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And I have I have taught that to my kids since really inspired tried to instill this in my kids, this need to listen carefully to what your authentic self is saying in this myriad of voices of what the world wants you to do. Well, I, I, have, a, I have a very, very similar experience. Um, if, if, you, if, if you want me to share... Please, yeah. please. I um, you know, your your story of of playing with dolls actually really, um, really touched touched me and spoke to me because I, I can r- really relate. My, it, it wasn't so much playing with dolls, although I, I did play with dolls. Um, uh, I, I I danced um most of my life, and uh, and I come from a a, a line of dancers um in my family and something that everyone's very proud of and and yet I was I, I kept it hidden from from most people or at least I tried to um, because I I felt you know I, I I was I was thrilled to dance but I felt that others thought it was girly or um, or it wasn't accepted um, and when people did find out I, I I got I got pretty tormented um, about it and uh, and, and it, it really, uh, it, it lasted a long time where I just hid this part of myself because I was afraid of what other people would think and how they would treat me. Um, so, 
you know, I didn't even know, I couldn't even put words to the fact that I was not living authentically. Um, and I'm not even sure that becoming just simply becoming an adult and knowing more about how the world works stopped me and down that, that path. It, it, it took me, it took me quite a while of a lot of work and, um, you know, personal growth to, to come to this, to a place where I feel where, where I'm now just now able to feel that I'm living authentically. Um, and, and I, and I, I'm a, I'm new to leadership in, in, in my career, um, newer and, um, and I'm, I'm really taking, really taking to heart your message of authenticity because, um, you know, like I said, for quite a long time, I wasn't living authentically. I was living the way I thought that, that the world wanted me to live. And, um, you know, similarly, you, you know, you and I were talking earlier about, um, uh, this, this place that I'm in, in feeling as though I'm, I'm really empowered and fulfilled in, in my career and everything I'm doing in all, all aspects of my life. And, um, and that it's, it's taken a really big life changing event to do that. And, and, um, you know, my, my mom passed away from cancer, um, a little over a year ago and I spent eight years with her, um, helping you to care for her. And that, you know, actually became part of my identity, um, was, was being her, being a caretaker and being the son of a person with cancer. And, um, so when all of that came to an end, the, the grief, the grief was so heavy. And, uh, and in, in the midst of that, I had a lot of changes. I got engaged. I moved across the country. Um, I got laid off from a job of five years and started a new career at a you know senior management position at a, at a really successful company. And, and, uh, and all of that, there was a, a dark cloud, um, of grief and sadness that kind of followed me around. And, and it, uh, about three or four months ago, it really started to subside. And, and I was sharing with you earlier that I, I feel now that, um, I, I am, in a completely different place than I was just a few months ago that, that I feel uh, uh, proud of, of my work. I feel that I'm doing a good, really great job as a, as a leader that I'm being my most authentic self and that I feel really spiritually connected. Um, and, um, that, that my spiritual life is, is the, the center of, of everything right now. And, 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 and I, and I, you know, told you earlier and, and, you know, I'd love to hear how this, you know, you had a very eloquent way of, of explaining how this connects to being a leader, but, um, you know, I'm actually questioning, um, my, my belief more than I've, or what it is I believe in more than any time in my life. And yet I feel the most spiritually connected. And as a result, I, I feel, the most empowered and the most 
and the most proud of in, in my work and outside of my work and um and and at peace with with everything that's that's going on in my life um and I, and I've actually never experienced this before um and and so you know what you said to me earlier I would love to hear you say say again because it really spoke to me um and kind of try explained you know why it is I'm in this place um as, as a you know in, in this new you know leadership position that that I'm in and and uh and that I'm kind of growing in, in as a leader um so I'd love to hear you explain that, that that spiritual aspect of it. Well, yeah, there's a couple things, Dom. You you just illustrated beautifully this journey down. Mm-hmm. Now, this journey into the inner inner part of who you are, the inner essence of who you are. Now, at one level, you could be listening to this and say, well, "What does that have to do with leadership?" So you. You know, you learn to find your voice as a dancer, that you found an identity there and that you, you know, you have this relationship with your mom, this beautiful relationship. And you helped her with her dying. And I helped my brother with his dying and the doll story. What does that all have to do with leadership? Well, here's what it, it has everything actually to do with leadership, because first of all, in that process of facing this. Of not running from it, but actually facing these experiences, shining a light on these experiences, embracing these experiences. What happens in the process of doing that is there's just an aliveness that comes from within you. And that aliveness you bring to work and you are now clued in to what brings your staff alive in a way that you would not be able to do had you withdrawn from your mom's dying and said, I don't want to be a part of that. It was discomfortable. It was uncomfortable, full of discomfort, but you faced it and embraced it and moved toward it. And by doing that, it deepened your presence, which deepens your ability to influence and connect with the people that you serve within your organization. That's what makes you who you are today. And in the process you are able to connect with your staff and help them find their voice at work. And that's the key to real engagement. It's not some program. Uh, it's, it's a deep, it's you're doing your deep personal work. And I think you and I probably talked about it in a spiritual context, not a religious context, but a spiritual context where you tap in to a deep sense of, of, stability and security within yourself that you can call anything. You can call it a relationship to a higher power. You can call it a relationship to a God. You can call it a relationship to your higher self, to your authentic self, whatever you want to term. But you can't really understand that. That's what spirituality is, is it's connected to some kind of a power beyond yourself. A religion is a concept of God. And you can go to, you can, whereas spirituality is the experience of God, if you will, you can go to church for many, many years and have a great concept of God and be able to give a good sermon. I know that one well, but not necessarily have the connection to the God that you're actually worshiping to. Vice versa, you can have that spiritual connection away from a religion. Now, for some people, you integrate those two together. No problem. 
But that's, you know, some people have said that this journey to authenticity is like a faith journey. It's like a spiritual unfolding. Um, you can put it in those words. I, I have no problem with those words. But it is a, a journey into the inner darkness, the inner hard realities of our life. And it really does make you a better leader. You take your colleagues who have either not had those experiences or on a different path, not yet had those experiences. We will all eventually have them if we can embrace them. But by embracing them and being with them, it really does strengthen your capacity to earn credibility, respect, and and influence in the world. So I, I've always considered myself to be somebody who um, strives for leadership from, from a young age. I've, I've always envisioned myself being a leader um, in the workplace, in the world, um, having influence, um, and, uh, and, and using my, my, my platform to, to create good in the world. That's kind of always been my driving force. But there are people who have no interest in being leaders in the workplace and, and being leaders in their life, or maybe they, maybe it's that they haven't tapped into it. But I guess that's, that's my question is, um, you know, you kind of talked about how, how everybody has that within them. And so how do you, how do you help people who don't see that for themselves or don't necessarily want that in the workplace become leaders in their everyday life? Well, I think you want to make a distinction when you say I, you want to be a leader. What does that actually mean? For some people, they're seeking promotions. They're seeking a desire to move up in the organization. That's how they would define, I want to be a leader here. I eventually one day want to own a company. I eventually want to be a CEO. I eventually want to be an executive. They're seeking position. But my question is, in my coaching with leaders, and if they've got a desire to move up in the organization, my question is, to ask, that's, the, that's the Everest trip, right? That's the Everest journey. I want to move upward in this culture. And that's a valid, that's a valid uh, intention. But what's driving that intention? What's underneath it? And that's when you get to people's depth. One person might say, if they're really, truly honest with themselves, you know what? I'm on an ego trip, and I want to get to the top so I can have fame and fortune and finances. That's my journey. And that's what I call the Everest journey. I want to get to the top so that I can show people how good I am. And I, I can tell you, I've been to that movie before. I know that. And it usually comes from insecurity. For me, it came from not being seen in the world, from not being visible. And I want to be in the top of my game. And I want to be famous. And I want to, you know, sell a lot of books. And I want to have a lot of followers on social media so that I can be okay. And there's still a part of me, quite honestly, Dom, that still feels that way because of I'm, I, I still feel that sense of insecurity. But there's another part where I ask, there's another, could be another kind of person, another different kind of motive. I want to move up in the organization so that I can make a bigger difference, so that I can serve more. And maybe you're saying to yourself, I want to be a better leader, not to move up in the organization at all. I just want to find a way that I can influence and be of service in the world. And that comes from the depth of facing our lives 
and choosing service over self-interest, impact over income. And that's, again, the authentic journey. How do I become a better leader? So if you say to yourself, I want to be a better leader, really ask yourself, what is what is driving that and what actually do you mean? Now, if we ask ourselves uh, and define leadership as the ability to inspire others and to make a difference and to serve, I believe that is an innate desire in all of us that may get hidden in what the world wants from us or what our ego wants. But that seed of wanting to make the world better, I believe, is somewhere inside. It comes with the human experience. It may get very, very deeply hidden and you have to dig really deeply to find it. But not everybody is in a place where they are receptive to this message. They're going along. They're just living on the outside of their life, on the surface of their life. Uh, they are climbing, maybe climbing their own Mount Everest in their life. They're working at achievement. I had a, I had a neighbor uh, years ago who was a real estate agent, 23 years old, passionate, highly driven uh, person. I said, what's your goal in life? And he said, I just, in the next two years, I'm going to buy a Jaguar. I'm going to make enough money that I can buy me a Jaguar. And I patted him on the back and I shook his hand and I said, go for it. Because that's a worthy goal to go for that external drive. But I can tell you 40 years or 20 years from now, when I meet that individual, I'm going to say, what's your goal? And if he wants a bigger Jaguar, there's a person who's likely not experiencing much fulfillment in life. On the other hand, I may meet him 20 years from now, and my hope would be that he's had some, maybe a bankruptcy, maybe some suffering, maybe some difficulties, maybe an addiction he's had to face, maybe a, a loss in his life. But something has taken him down to ask deeper questions, to say, what do I really want to do with my life? So at different stages, this message isn't – everybody's going to be at different stages, but this message isn't for everybody at this stage in the life. It might be – I might be planting seeds. I feel like a farmer sometimes. I throw out seeds. <laughs> We're throwing out seeds on this podcast. I don't know where they're going to take root, and I'm not actually that attached to where they take root because I'm not in charge of this. I'm just sharing a message that I believe in my heart needs to be shared in this in this time and age, this time, and I'm just letting it – letting go of – People feeling as though they have to be ready for this. People be ready for this message when they're ready to. And some people never are. No problem. That's not my job. So my last question is, what, what can what can everyone expect for, for future podcasts? I know you said there are going to be, there are going to be interviews. And can, can, you, can you tell us a little bit more? Here's what I want to do. There are extraordinary leaders functioning in this world all the time. Every day, every minute of every day, extraordinary leaders that are humble, that are caring, that are influential, that are accountable, that have tremendous character and are making a tremendous difference. You won't find them on the front page of the papers. You won't find them in the New York Times. You won't find them uh, necessarily with a tremendous amount of followers on social media, but they're making a difference. What I want to do is that I want to shine a light on extraordinary actions by ordinary people. And so I'm going to be interviewing pe people who have been identified either by myself or by others 
there's an authentic leader, and I'm going to hear their story. I'm going to find out what made them who you are. You shared your story today. I shared a part of my story today. We're going to hear people's stories about what made them be who they are. Here's a little uh, a little anecdote for you. Did you, by any chance, hear about the plane that landed in Los Angeles this morning? Yes. You did? Yes, I, yeah, I did. Oh, okay. Uh, what happened? Um, I don't know. Um, I haven't. I need to go back well, and read the updates. Well, that that's a it's an interesting question. It's an interesting answer. I've never heard yes to that answer because most people. It was coincidental that you had a an, it, what made what would have made that landing unusual. The only reason you heard about some landing in Los Angeles is something went wrong somewhere along the line. Mm-hmm. If the plane landed successfully without any incidents, I can guarantee it you wouldn't have heard about it. Mm. It's only when things go wrong that we hear about or when, when it's a Mount Everest experience. We don't hear about the ordinary depths. And so I want to shine a light on the value of the journeys that people have taken. Now, the challenge here is that the people I'm going to interview are very humble. And they're going to say, why would you interview me? I'm not even a leader. And yet the whole, their whole sphere of influence has deep respect for them because, in part, they're so humble. So I'm interested in shining a light on that humility. How did you get to be that humble? What, what is your story? And my intent is in sharing those stories. My intent is that people can see their ordinary action in their lives is actually potentially quite extraordinary. Mm. And I want to see, I want to shine a light on some of those landings that seem ordinary to some people, but are actually extraordinary potentially on the recipient's end on the other end. I want to just inspire ordinary leadership. As Mother Teresa said, you know, we can't necessarily do great things in life, but what we can do is ordinary things with great love. And that's what I want to shine a light on. So we'll be talking to C- I'll be talking to CEOs, but I'll be talking to parents. I'll be talking to grandparents. I'll be talking to middle managers. I'll be talking to nurses. I'll be talking to people in a wide variety of leadership roles from a variety of perspectives in a wide range of life, life experiences for people to get to hear people's stories. Well, um, I, 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 for one, am, am really excited to, to see the rest of it. And I'm, thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to interview you. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to get to do it. Well, thank you, Dom. It's very mutual. And I appreciate your support with these podcasts, and I'm looking forward to getting this message out there. Great. Well, we'll look forward to next time. And, uh, yeah, thanks again. We certainly will.